Good morning and welcome again to Trinity Heights Virtual Service. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you've been around Trinity Heights for any length of time, you know that we believe that the church must reposition herself among spiritual seekers. It's not to say that everybody is spiritually seeking, but right now there are atheists, there are agnostics, there are new ages, there are burned out fundamentalists who are, spiritual, who are spiritually seeking. And so we believe we must reposition ourselves among them, not so that we can proselytize and tell people this is how it is, but so that we can enter into dialogue. Catholic priest Thomas Howick puts it this way, we need to take new and old things from the treasure house of tradition that we have been entrusted with and make them part of a dialogue with seekers, a dialogue in which we can and should learn from each other. So in the spirit of dialogue uh, and recognizing people, different people learn in different ways, uh, we thought this would be a great time to approach Sunday messages in a conversational or dialogue format. And so over the next five weeks, I'm going to invite you to listen in to some conversations that I'll be having with one of our elders and leaders at Trinity Heights, Eric Helvey. And we hope that we'll be able to communicate through this medium something of Trinity Heights theological vision. Uh, in other words, what it is we believe God is up to in this world, the story that God is telling. And we hope to be able to communicate something of our philosophy of ministry. That is to say, how we then go about living out that story together. Today, we're wrapping up our series, The Reevaluation of Humanity. And uh, it's a good way to wrap it up with this conversation, which we've entitled The Resurrection Revisited. After the conversation, I'll be back with a couple of announcements and there'll be an after church Zoom meeting as well. Uh, so join us for that. But with that said, thanks for listening in. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have the chance to speak this morning. I know uh, this is an idea we've been mulling over for a while now over multiple coffees, emails, long romantic walks in the park. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, I can't think of a better time to kick off these kinds of discussions. My hope is that uh, by recording these conversations, we might somehow welcome anyone listening into the ongoing dialogue that you and I have been able to share over the course of the last couple of years. Something that I've truly found to be very precious and at risk of sounding a bit overly dramatic has quite literally changed the focus and direction of my life. Well, Eric, I, I feel the same way. You know, I've loved our discussions and it's uh, been a really, I think, a very valuable gift to me to be able to process and talk about life at such a granular level, but but also I think in, in such a frank manner without the need for lots of caveats and, and apologies. And I think uh, we all yeah, we all need those kinds of spaces where we don't need to explain ourselves too much. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, I hope that we'll be able, be able to uh, capture some of that frankness here. Uh, today, if you're up for it, I'd like to discuss the resurrection of Christ and more specifically the physical nature of his bodily resurrection. Obviously, this is in line with the sermons that you've preached these past two Sundays, and rightly so, with Easter having come and gone. And yet, you know, we still find ourselves quarantined amidst a global pandemic. So I guess before we discuss the idea of resurrection, it might be appropriate to start by talking a bit about death. Yeah, I mean, that's a good place to start. You know, at the risk of uh, sounding uh, too obvious, you, you have to go through death to, to reach resurrection, right? 
Right. You know, it's funny though, because it is an obvious idea, you know, death uh, has to come first before any kind of resurrection. But for whatever reason, I think it's easy to dismiss, uh, at least in our culture, it seems like we actively try to uh, downplay death or, or ignore it uh, to some degree. So the first question then, do you think that fostering a deep understanding of death is necessary to achieve uh, a full understanding of the resurrection? Yeah, uh, I, I like to talk about it in, in terms of, of this sort of, of sort of a particular posture or attitude toward death. You know, one, one posture which uh, you've already identified is, is very common is to try to, to minimize the significance of death, to downplay mm-hmm. it, as you said. Uh, you know, outside the church, it's more of the, the heroic posture, perhaps the, the tragic hero who forges a way ahead. Uh, knowing that death is still coming, but they're, they're willing to stare death in the face unflinchingly. Uh, and so there's this sort of tragic hero sort of thing. And then inside the church, it might be uh, considered more of a posture of, of faith uh, to, to face death bravely. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think what both this hero- heroic or, or faithful approaches do, uh, they're, they're both trying to do the same thing. They're minimizing the significance of death and, and they're acting like, hey, it's, it's really no, it's no big deal. Right, kind of like a coping me- mechanism, perhaps. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so look, I, you know, I've, I've presided over many, many funerals over the years, and at so many of these funerals, friends and family say, "Look, you know, our, our loved ones are better off now; they're in a better place." And then they start to say things like, "Death is like moving from one room to another; it's just, it's just a transition to another realm." Therefore, this funeral should just be this happy, sort of joyful event. And uh, and so I've stood by. You know, several gravesites where happy songs are sung, uh, balloons are let off, but uh, because you know they're, they're in heaven now. Uh, so mm-hmm. even, even by the graveside, it seems we're not really allowed to look down, see our loved ones lowered deep into the earth, and then and, and actually mourn. Um, and, and, but what, what's what's really strange about all these would-be Christian approaches to death is that I, I actually don't find this sort of light-hearted attitude in the Old or New Testaments. Right. Sure. So, so, for example, um, you you look at Ecclesiastes, and and it's amazing how often the author goes on and on about how it, it just doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, good or bad, wise or foolish. You could be a human. You could be an animal. We all meet the same fate, you know. So, so all of our mm-hmm. our, ri- our rich culture, uh, our collective lives together, all our shared and deepest values and and. and High principles, it amounts to, to dust. Essentially, what he's acknowledging is, is death is it sort of makes a mockery of, of all of this, right? It, it makes a mockery of the world that uh, that we are. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, then you you sort of you can you can jump to the New Testament, and Jesus is is outside his friend Lazarus' tomb, and Jesus doesn't say. Oh, don't worry. Death is no big deal. It's okay. It's just a transition into another realm. It's, it's not mm-hmm. a problem because Lazarus is in, this, is in this better place now. <laughs> you know, you know what he does instead, right? It, it says that, that yeah, Jesus, yeah. Jesus was moved, that he was deeply troubled, and it says that Jesus wept. You know, that's the famous for being the shortest uh, verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So Jesus yeah. was moved, deeply troubled, and Jesus wept. So mm-hmm. I, I can't help thinking that our own culture's approach at this moment in time toward death, which minimizes death and tries to soften the blow, amounts to a little more than uh, sort of kitsch. You know, we're, we're looking away from the thing we don't really want to see. And and so the, the very raw, painful, heart-wrenching part of our experience of death, we're, we're trained to sort of withhold 
from the world around us, withhold it from ourselves, which, which may seem like a strange idea, right? That we could withhold something from ourselves, but I, I think we can and we do. And ultimately, we're, we're sort of withholding it from God and we're encouraged to sort of move on happily to the next thing. But, but I think the Bible just refuses to quickly move on to the next thing, partly because death is the next thing, you know, for, for all of mm-hmm. us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. but, but circling back to your point about understanding death to understand the resurrection, the interesting thing is that if the meaning of death is minimized in this way, then the, the meaning of the resurrection is, is also minimized and, and, and trivialized too. Right. You know, I can't agree with you enough on that point. Uh, if you downplay death, then you're obviously downplaying the resurrection or perhaps, you know, with regards to church history and the way things played out, uh, people stopped believing in the bodily resurrection and then they had no choice but to maybe downplay death um, in, in that order. I, I'm not sure maybe you, you would know more than I, but um, uh, I don't know if you know this about me and I know we've, maybe we've talked about it a little bit, but um in my, most of my childhood and my formative years were spent growing up in South Africa in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. And so many of the people my parents were working with uh, were HIV positive or dying from AIDS uh, with no access to proper medical care, not to mention, you know, other countless deaths from tuberculosis and other um, diseases. So as a child, I remember death seemed to be everywhere. Um, and uh, as a result, I feel like I was forced to come to grips with um, sort of the, yeah, I, I guess my own mortality and the, the deep problem that, that death presents, you know, and I must've been around 10 or 11. Yeah. And, and that, that's in a way that we often don't get to do, uh, in, in the West so much. Um, and this brings up a really good point, uh, because there's, there's this, I think, Another interesting approach to death in the West is it, it's just—it's not just a minimized death. Minimizing is what we do when we're we're finally faced with death. But until then, until then, the other tactic we take is just to sort of deny death altogether. You know, so sure. uh, I think I pointed out before that in, in, in the Victorian era, death was sort of an obsession. That's all, all their literature and, and all their poetry, and and sex was the the taboo. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and perhaps you know if they had uh, magazines back then. The front cover would have, uh, you know, ten tips for dying well instead of, you know, five ways to get a sexy one or something like that. Sure. But, but right, yeah. you, you know, uh, of course, that's it's all the other way around now. You know, we're, we're happy to talk about sex, but uh, you know, we just don't don't mention death. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've I've shared this story before, but I, I remember sitting in our uh, local coffee shop, usual place, talking to a friend uh, about death. And so the guy, the guy next to us had been eavesdropping and, and wanted to share his opinion. And he said, look, I've done a lot of reading on and around death because he said he, he was an ICU doctor. So he was around death a lot. And then he said rather nonchalantly, I also have a progressive degenerative disease. So I have a sort of vested interest in the subject. Man. And, and yeah. And, and, and then, and then he added, then again, we all do, even though we don't realize it. I mean, it's, it's kind of like this, this throwaway <laughs> comment, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's he's recognized. Well, what he's recognizing is the way we deal with death is not to deal with death, right? Our, our cultural tendency is to push death off to the side and, until we can't. And I, I think we see this this culture of death denial all the way up, right up to death's door. You know, palliative care has, has still not really caught on in America. Uh, you, have, you have a 95 year old woman who's having chest compressions. They're using the paddles. Mm-hmm. They're breaking their ribs in the process. 
uh, and, and you know, it's a fact that the highest uh, medical expenses are, are made in the last two weeks of a person's life. So there's this incredible financial and emotional burden created by our, our sort of dogged determination to, to uh, deny, uh, deny the reality of death. Right. You know, and it's funny because we've come to accept all of this, uh, you know, these exorbitant medical bills at the end of life and uh, this, um, like you said, the, the dogged determination to deny, uh, to de- sorry, to deny death. But, uh, you know, we've really come to accept this to some degree. And, and it's, it's almost, I think for me, having grown up in, 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 in Africa, in a, in a third world country, um, you didn't see this, uh, you know, at least um, with the, the Zulu and Osha tribes, that uh, that wasn't even really a thing. Uh, people died at home. They weren't even really embalmed or anything uh, after death. Uh, I remember going to funerals and um, the, it, it, you know, it was an open casket and there was no makeup to hide the effects of death on the, the person who had died. And, um, it was kind of a, a visceral experience uh, because there was absolutely no attempt to, to minimize um, the the aesthetic blow that death just naturally presents. Yeah, that, that's a, a, a very um, sort of visceral. Yeah, that is a, that's a very uh, powerful image um, mm-hmm. there, uh, which I think contrasts very sharply with what I was trying to. Uh, say in, in the first week we closed our services because of this pan- pandemic, um, you know, we tend to think that death and pestilence and empty shelves is, is what happens to other people in, our, in, in those countries, those people over mm-hmm. there. It doesn't happen to us. Or, or as my friend Jared said in his article, which I quoted uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we think in the West, we think that youth and health and prosperity, that this is just sort of permanent projects, like that this is just the permanent state of affairs or something. Um, and of course, yeah. I think this pandemic might change all of that uh, and connect us more closely to your experience in South Africa. It, it, it's 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 just difficult to ignore death when you see you know these freezer trucks parked outside hospitals, which are doubling as morgues. Um, but you know we'll we'll, we'll see what uh, what effect this has on our, our culture afterwards. Perhaps perhaps death will be allowed to inform our culture more in the in the future. But but. Uh, you know, how, how it does that is another matter, right? Uh, one very cynical friend, he thinks we're just going to all become preppers and hoard more or something. So, you know, there's always, <laughs> there's always that. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, obviously, who knows how things will, will pan out. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just going to branch out here and say it does seem like potentially we are moving out of an age that might uh, very well uh, be or have been at this point marked by its dogged attempt to ignore death and embrace the kind of... Uh, 18 till I die mentality. And to that, yeah. and to that point, I think uh, some might assume that an exposure to death like my own, you know, at a young age may have caused uh, deep trauma. But actually, you know, I think the opposite. Uh, I would venture to say that most of the joy and love that I have uh, actually stems from my understanding of death. You know, so possibly the, a kind of morbid fascination or at least in our culture, what might be considered a morbid fascination might actually be the key to diving headlong into the deep pools of love found in Christ's resurrection, uh, like the deathbed manuals of Luther and, and Moore's time, which I know you, you mentioned uh, um, just recently in, in one of your sermons. Uh, you know, so it, the deathbed manual stated, uh, whoever thinks, of, uh, thinks always of death um, does a good work. Yeah, I mean... Uh... 
that that, that might help um, morbid fascination. I, I mean, I, I you know I don't think it has to be morbid as such. I'm, I'm not you know I'm not sure at what point we might say it is morbid. I suppose a a culture which doesn't think about death at all, uh, you know, any contemplation of death might be considered. Maybe, maybe this conversation right here is is, is too morbid. Uh, I, I don't know. But uh, when when I when I talk to friends who who think about death a lot, I often discover that they've lost a loved one uh, when they were very young. It's not always the case, but quite often. And so, like you, they were exposed to death at an early age, and and so death is always something in, in the periphery of of their vision. Um, but, but more than anything, I think taking, you know, taking death seriously, giving it more than a passing thought. And, and when we do, not, not just trying to shrink it and, and pretend that it's nothing, I think that can open us up to more to the, the meaning and, and significance of, of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really well put. Okay, so I'm not quite sure uh, why it took me so long, you know, now that we've kind of moved away from death and drifted onto the resurrection now. Um, you know, I'm not quite why, sure why it took me so long to actually get things straight with regards to the resurrection uh, and its central importance. You know, honestly, I was brought, uh, I was brought up in such a way um, uh, that for most of my life, my understanding of Christ rising from the dead uh, was, for lack of a better word, I guess it was kind of anemic. Uh, basically, I was taught that Christ's resurrection was the thing that set Christianity as a religion apart from other religions. Our God was alive, but other gods were were dead. So quickly and clearly, uh, would you just mind outlining the basic idea of, of the bodily resurrection in contrast to what I'm going to call uh, going to heaven when you die? Yeah, no, no, that that's well, what you just described. I mean, that's a really, really common experience. And, and for a long time, I had exactly the same understanding uh, as as you did. That you know, the resurrection, the, the way you put it is, it's just, it's in other words, it's sort of like a rubber stamp, right? I mean, is that you say that's sort of how how you experienced it? That to say, look, look, uh, Jesus really is God, or, or something like that, or, or look, few deaths, not the end. There's there's a life. Uh, uh, you know, there's an afterlife after all sort of thing mm-hmm. um and then like my friend uh, mark was saying recently uh words like going to heaven eternal life uh resurrection they all get conflated and sort of collapse into each other and they right. all refer to what happens when you die um but uh resurrection is it's not really about life after death um mm-hmm. There's there's actually very few references in the New Testament of our uh, immediate post-mortem destination. Uh, the, there's actually very few places where the New Testament talks explicitly about you know, immediate life after death. I mean, you, you can actually take out all of those references to life after death, going to heaven when you die, and you still have a New Testament. But, but if you take out the references to resurrection... Then the whole New Testament sort of falls apart. The whole thing comes undone. Uh, mm-hmm. And resurrection is is not what happens when you die. Resurrection comes after that, which, as mm-hmm. N.T. Wright says, the New Testament is not so much interested in life after death, but the New Testament is more interested in life after life after death. Uh, so, so, so that that may sound a little confusing at first, but. but but yeah. uh, you know, resurrection. I'll just uh, resurrection is not what happens when you die. It's this thing that comes after that. So it's not it's not life after death. It's this life after life after death. Um, sure. So 
you know, it's, it's true. You know, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, I go and prepare a place for you in my father's house. Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, that's there. But the rest of the New Testament is looking forward to resurrection, which is, which is sort of what happens after, after that. And, and that's what Christ's own bodily resurrection is anticipating. It's what it means to say he's, he's the first born from from among the dead. Stephen, what you just outlined, you know, and to be perfectly honest, took a while to fully sink in for me. But once I did, mm-hmm. I remember feeling almost as if my brain flipped inside my head. Right? Yeah, I, I had the same experience, actually. Yeah. yeah. When I first when I, I first came across this. No, it, it's true, and it's a strange it's a strange feeling. But um, Christ's physical resurrection changes. Uh, things with regards to our understanding of life after death, or as you put it, life after life after death. But it's these other ramifications as well that I've started to think about that seem to be endless. Uh, One thing I find interesting is how the bodily resurrection is both completely specific and completely universal. And I know that sounds a little abstract, but I guess what I mean is, is that Christ's actual specific physical body is the precursor to each of our own eventual physical resurrections. And uh, yeah, quite mysteriously, when we hone in on his resurrected flesh, uh, his specifically placed scars, his ability to eat as he himself demonstrates to his disciples, somehow things begin to extrapolate outwards into the cosmos. Everything becomes much bigger, more universal, and less about us, which I find uh, incredibly freeing. Yeah, no, no, exactly, uh, and I think I think that this big universal picture of things is, is something that uh, that the authors of the New Testament want us to see. I mean, take take. I think John is a perfect example. John leaves clues right. about this all over the place uh, in his sure. Gospels. So, um, if, if you don't mind, I want to quickly um, something that might be helpful is to quickly outline NT, what N.T. Wright does. Uh, by the way, I, I do quote N.T. Wright a lot on this because. Mm-hmm. He's written the most comprehensive defense and exposition of the resurrection in the entire history of the church. So that's, that's, uh, right. I, I, he's quoted a lot on this. Um, no, I don't and, think we'll, we'll hold it against you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, he, he, he outlines John's approach to this. And, and I think what you'll see is how this ties into what you just said about the resurrection, not just being about this the individual, but becomes something vast, expansive, less about us and, and rippling out to the, the entire cosmos, as, as you put it. Sure. So, right. um, so, so John begins his gospel with the words, in the beginning. Right. And uh, N.T. Mm-hmm. Wright jokes that this is this is rather like saying, look, I've, I've written a new symphony. It's an entirely <laughs> original score. Uh, and it begins right. like this. Dun, 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 dun. And, <laughs> and, and you're like, no, I don't I don't think I don't think you wrote that. <laughs> you know, this, right. that, that isn't I'm pretty sure that's Beethoven's fifth. Um, right. Well, OK, that's what John is doing. Uh, he's evoking the very first verse of the Bible, the, the Genesis creation story, which starts in the beginning. Sure. And and that's his way of saying, look, here is a new creation story. I'm about to tell you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, you know that verse. Well, in the beginning mm-hmm. was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, so that's how he starts out his his amazing uh, telling of his gospel narrative. And and then you fast forward from from the beginning of John's gospel to the final week uh-huh. of uh, Jesus' life, 
And once again, John begins to count down the days. You, you know how in the quite creation strange, story, yeah, it's quite strange, isn't it? Right, yeah. You know, you know how in the creation story, the, the author sort of lists off the days: day one, day yeah. two. It was evening and morning, then it was day two. Day. Well, well, John suddenly becomes obsessed with the days of the week, and he mm. keeps reminding us in the middle of all this calamity, the trial, the crucifixion, and the betrayal, every all of that. He actually stops to tell us. He bothers to tell us. Oh, by the way, this what day of the week is it? And he says it was preparation day. That is mm. the day before the Sabbath. Right. And it's on, on that day, they came and, and got Jesus' dead body. They laid it in the tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it. And it seems like this is the end of the story, right? And mm -hmm. you, you know how the creation story ends. It, it yeah. ends with God resting on the Sabbath. Genesis says on the seventh day, God rested. And so, so John is silent. Well, of course he's silent because it's it's the Sabbath. <laughs> on on the seventh day, God rested in the darkness of the tomb, and then there's just silence. Wow. And it, it's only when the Sabbath is over that John begins his narration again. And you know, he starts up his starts up again. He starts up by telling us which day of the week it is. He says, "Early in the morning, <laughs> on the first day of the <laughs> week." First day of the week, that's another echo of, of Genesis. The first day of the week, what, what's happening here? What, what's going on? That, that's what we, we should be asking. Well, well here's another clue. Uh, in, in John's Gospel, uh, if you remember, uh, Mary runs into Jesus. Do you remember that? And yeah. through her tears, she mistakes Jesus as the gardener. Well, that's the right mistake to make mm. because we're back in the garden. Because this is not just the first day of the week, but this is first day of the new creation exactly um, so so yeah so so really the what john's pointing to here is that the, the way wright puts it is this he says that the resurrection is not this odd event in the world the way it has always been the way it used to be and the way it's always been the resurrection is actually the beginning of a new world the way the world is going to be um so like you were saying, you know, the resurrection does have this significance that ripples out into the whole cosmos. Uh, you know, we're meant to look at the resurrected Jesus and we see what the new creation will look like. Um, it's, it's the reversal of death and evil and injustice. It's the restoration and renewal and resurrection of creation and, and, uh, and humanity along with it. Yeah, and I think I'd just be a bit remiss if I didn't mention uh, John's poetry that he's infusing into this this whole whole narrative here. Yeah, no, I mean it's, it, these these guys were brilliant authors, and and sometimes you know this is not just straight prose, right? They're they're not just mm -hmm. uh, it, it's sort of like um, uh, what we might call high prose. It, it, it's not quite poetry, but but it's very poetic and and very artistic, right? And, and so he's using this very artistic way of and, and ransacking the Old Testament uh, mm -hmm. to to uh, and repurposing all of that to tell his his own uh, gospel narrative. Um, and so it's not just sort of a historical account in terms of, well, this happened and then this happened and then this other thing happened at the mm -hmm. end, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a lot more, right. it's more beautiful than that. It, yeah, it is. You know, and on that note, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to stop us right there. I'm excited that we plan to continue these conversations. So next week, I look forward to kicking off our discussion series, focusing on the core values of Trinity Heights.
uh, and our mission and vision for the future, which, surprise, surprise, allows us to continue speaking about the ins and outs of the bodily resurrection and how it shapes us as a community. But uh, we'll put that on hold for a second, uh, and actually next week we're going to pick off with a discussion titled A Community of Christians and Skeptics. Thanks, Eric. Uh, I look forward to that. It's a conversation I, I love having. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks so much to you, the listener. Conversations like this aren't meant to be one-sided. Stephen and I, uh, we want to hear what you have to say, mm-hmm. and I'm not just saying that to be nice. Our hope is that this is just the beginning. Trinity Heights thrives when we all join in and hash things out together, so I truly do mean it when I say, let's talk soon. Mm-hmm.